Well, if you have a, a Bible with you, you can turn to the book of Genesis chapter 39, starting with verse 20. And we are continuing our series, When It All Goes Wrong, and Pastor Steve has been covering a lot of scripture, and I chickened out and just did three scriptures uh, to, felt like that was probably enough. I want to start by telling you that I had a mile mark moment of my life last week. Last week, my family and I were on vacation uh, up at Catawba Island on Lake Erie, and I had a little bit of a mile mark moment. And it came from a, a problem that some of you, I know, I know, especially you men, have th- this, this problem. Uh, obviously, it got really hot last week, and the heat index was rising, and, you know, the sun exposure was a, a real thing, a real uh, issue. And I realized, you know, I've come to terms with the fact that the top of my head needs a lot more coverage and, and protection than than it used to. The problem is that I had a certain length of my hair where if I put sunscreen all over, you know, it'd just get in my hair and all of that. So I decided uh, to literally cut my losses and to take it one setting down a little bit more so that I could put the sunscreen all over. And I'm still in the grieving process, so if you'd just be kind (laughs) to me for, for all of that, you know, I'm just sort of going through all of that. But I'm wondering, how did you all handle the heat? When the heat index went up and there was, you know, some real dangers out there. We heard on the news, they were giving you some directions. Don't keep your dogs, your pets out in the heat for too long. You know, it's dangerous for them or your kids too. And um, don't leave them out in the heat very long, you know, and take the necessary precautions because the elements are a little dangerous out there. And I thought that was a little ironic because just a few months ago, we were cooped up inside like this, looking out into the bitter cold, <laughs> praying that the weather would warm up and we could have summer sooner than rather than rather than later. And here we are, summer's here, and the heat went up, and what did we end up doing? Probably cooped back up, indoors, looking out and trying to figure all of that out. Now, that's all and well and good for, for most of you, but for those of you with children, young children, you know that being cooped up in a house has its set of issues and, and problems, and it doesn't take long for kids to get a little stir-crazy, especially in the summer, because you have more kids, and it doesn't take long after that before you as a parent are getting stir-crazy because the kids are stir-crazy, they're just driving you nuts, and you have to deal with all of those issues. And I think that that's really ironic. I think there's a, a really profound irony in that here we have created a structure, a home with walls, with, with, with a roof over our head and we create structures like a church building or public spaces and restaurants and, and all of that. We create these, these, these structures to protect ourselves from the harm, potentially harmful elements. And yet once we're in there, it doesn't take very long for, for the experience within that safety zone to suddenly become a problem itself. How many times have we created protections, borders, boundaries, gates, fences, and we live within those trying to prevent anything from harmful from coming in, 
And yet the problem is, is then that prevents us from, from going out. And that, that place of security and safety, that structure that we've built, has now become a, a problem within itself. We built it for protection and safety, but now it is actually becoming confining to us. It's restricting for us. And we get a little stir-crazy with it. This idea of confinement, I'm going somewhere with this, that this idea of confinement uh, is something that um, prison inmates particularly understand. They know what it's like to literally live within confinement. That the, the, the freedoms that we have when, in, in normal everyday life, they don't have those things. And it's not just the physical structures that are built. The barbed wire and the fences and the walls and the bars and all of that that, that inmates have. Those are really more representative of the life that is full of restrictions and confinement. That everyday life is filled with being told what to do, when to do it, and where to do it. We take these decisions for, for granted. And it's those everyday little things that a prisoner feels and experiences to the nth degree. Do you remember um, Nelson Mandela, Nobel Peace Prize winner, president of South Africa, went through the tragedies and the atrocities of apartheid and was in a prison for a, a, a long number of years. I really recommend reading his autobiography, A Long Walk to Freedom. And once he was freed, he had a whole new lease, a whole new lens of the world and of life. This is something he says. He says, after one has been in prison, it's the small things that one appreciates. Being able to take a walk whenever one wants Going into a shop and buying a newspaper, speaking or choosing to remain silent. The simple act of being able to control one's person. These are the people that understand confinement, shackling, being bound, not being able to, to be free. And I mention all of that because that's where our friend Joseph is in this series, when it all goes wrong. Pastor Steve took us through a couple of different scenes in this scripture, in this story of the Bible, where first Joseph, though he had a lot of favor in the eyes of his father, he was despised with jealousy and malice by his brothers. And so they acted against him. First they were going to take his life, but by the sheer act of God in that moment, which Pastor Steve spoke to us, God just helped him for another day. Helped him survive for another day. Helped him get by for another day. And then he was sold into slavery and he was serving in the house of Potiphar and then he was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. And here we arrive in chapter 39 of the book of Genesis in verse 20. Joseph is now put in prison. And here's a really interesting part, uh, detail that's given to us in this story about uh, about the prison, in the, in the Hebrew, uh, Hebrew's the original language that this story was written in, the literal word for prison means the house of roundness, which gives us the idea of the architecture that might have been in prisons in Egypt in that day. Maybe a tower, maybe just sort of a circular structure, but you can get this idea that there are walls surrounding the inmates, almost as a symbol of, you're not getting out of here, it's all around you. And scholars have, through architectural uh, studies and, and research and, and all of that, 
scholars have, have noticed that one of the characteristics of a common prison of that day was that the, the, the prison, the jail, would be attached to the home of a certain official of Pharaoh. Maybe even an official just like Potiphar in the story that Pastor Steve shared with us uh, last week. Isn't that interesting? It's possible that Joseph was thrown in a prison with an earshot of the very people and family that caused his imprisonment in the first place, almost like a cruel joke. And so here's the detail that's added in this story. It's, you know, we often don't, don't catch these sort of things, but it, it describes the fact that he was put in prison. And then it says in verse 20, it says, he remained there in prison. He remained there in prison. Subtle little detail, but it gives us this idea of a length of time, of a certain length of time. He remained there. And I imagine that when, once Joseph was thrown into prison, there were all kinds of questions and all kinds of thoughts that went rolling around in his mind. What's gonna happen next? Am I gonna be executed for this crime that I didn't commit? Or maybe the truth will set me free. Maybe I'll be liberated uh, the very next day. I don't know. And I imagine each day in the earlier season of his imprisonment, each day he might have asked those questions. I wonder if it's gonna be today. I wonder if it's gonna be today. But when he says that he remained there in prison, I imagine that there's a certain reality that set in with Joseph that he realized, okay, this is my life now. This is life as I know it. This prison, it's now my home. It's now the life that I must build for myself. It, it is what it is. He remained there in prison. And here's something um, interesting about Scripture or helpful about Scripture. When we, when we read stories like this, a lot of times we can't exactly identify with everything that's going on in a story like this. Like how many of you have narrowly escaped death at the hands of your siblings? Not, not, not too many of us. Maybe some of you. Don't raise your hand. <laughs> we can't exactly identify with that exact circumstance. Some of us have not, most of us have not been falsely accused and spent time in prison. Some of you might have, I don't know. But the majority of us probably haven't. Those seem like extreme examples. But here's the thing. When we read stories like this, they're not covering all of the situations that we might face in our day-to-day life. They're not covering all the experiences you might have at work. They're not covering all the experiences you might have in your home. But they serve as examples for the human experience and how God enters in and does something amazing. So we can learn from this. We can gain something from this. And I think that the, the detail, the small detail there that, that Joseph remained in prison can speak to us because we also live in the midst of circumstances that are binding, that are shackling, that become prisons for ourselves. Some people in more explicit ways. Some people in this world in this day, are living in literal captivity. There was a a missionary uh, in the Philippines who was recently freed. I just became aware of the fact that this missionary was actually the nephew, I believe, of one of my friends. (laughs) Recently freed and and was released and had flown back to, 
the United States. There are people living in literal captivity, victims of human trafficking. To this day, are living in, that, that's their life, that's their reality. They are, there are people who are sitting in prison who have been falsely accused. And that's their life, that's their reality. We know statistically that there's a disproportional amount of minorities in our country that are, uh, receive longer sentences uh, than, than others. And even though Joseph didn't ask for any of these things, they just happened to him. Even though he didn't deserve the treatment of his, of his, uh, of his brothers, he didn't deserve the false uh, accusations of Potiphar's wife, here he is. And I think we can identify with that, can't we? That we face circumstances that bind us, that shackle us, that, that, that cause and dictate our lives, and we didn't ask for it. We, we didn't do anything to deserve it. How many people have you heard say, and how many times have you said, why do bad things happen to good people? Because we face these circumstances. And I think in that way, we can identify a little bit of what Joseph is going through. He didn't ask for it, he didn't deserve it, but it's his reality now. How is he gonna navigate this life? Well, I have only done as a pastor a a little bit of prison ministry, visited a few inmates from time to time, and I don't know if it's, maybe I watch too much TV or what, but I had these sets of expectations that when I was gonna go and visit and minister to an inmate, that I would sit on the other side of clear glass and we'd both pick up the phone and we'd talk to each other and maybe hold our hand up to the glass. (laughs) And that wasn't what, happened at all. In fact, some of you might know this, that everything today, at least in my experience, what I've done, and maybe just in the state of Ohio, that uh, it's, everything's done by video conferencing. And so you sit down in a booth with a TV, you pick up the phone, and you talk to an inmate that's somewhere else in the building that's also sit, sat in a booth and, and talking to you. And you know what's interesting? I cannot help but feel the distance that's created through that technology. As much as I'd like to think, you know, I, I can, I'm, here I am as a pastor, I'm trying to connect with this person, I'm trying to minister to them, and I just feel this distance from this other person. You know, I praise this kind of technology for like, for example, a couple weeks ago, I was video conferencing with my, one of my best friends who's South African, he lives in South Africa. And we were talking, I got to see his kids. It was wonderful. But this was different. There was this distance and this isolation that existed with this inmate. And I couldn't, I can't imagine what the wife and the son next to me were feeling when they were trying to talk to daddy. And they had such a short amount of time to connect with this person that they knew and that they loved And they certainly didn't want a stranger like me sitting next to them hearing everything that they're saying. They were isolated, distanced. And if we admit, that's kind of the point, isn't it? Isn't that the point of prison? Isn't that the point of of jail to remove an individual, to isolate an individual from larger society? Because in some ways they've been deemed as a, a threat to society. 
to create distance, to create isolation. And you better believe that inmates in prison, no matter what they tell you, they feel and they experience the isolation that was meant for them to experience. I began to learn a little bit about this in speaking with my friend Pete. Uh, This is my friend Pete up here on the screen. I invited Pete over to my house because I wanted to learn more about the experience of people that are living in prison. Pete volunteers with a ministry called Kairos. Kairos is a, a ministry for prisons. What they do is they go in on a particular weekend or a few uh, days, consecutive days, and they hold sort of a retreat. Now, the volunteers don't stay the night there, but they hold this daily retreat, uh, and they help introduce these inmates to the love of Jesus Christ. And people come to know God, people come to know Jesus through this ministry. And it's amazing some of the experiences that he shared with me. How one person who was rescued, rescued uh, not from prison, but, but rescued from the condition of his heart because he used to be a white supremacist and now he had given his life to Jesus Christ. So he's telling me about the experiences of these men that they minister to and the extreme loneliness and isolation that they experience. And they play it off at first. They have their sort of facade because in prison, according to them, you can't present yourself as being weak. You can't present your, you can't show your feelings. But once they are able to come to terms with who they are and they, they just feel and experience the love of God in this ministry, a lot of those walls get broken down. Here's what Pete said to me about their experience. He says, isolation from being able to show your feelings, from being able to expose who you really are, is in and of itself a prison. One of the things that they tell us in Kairos is that a person in the free world makes about 250 choices per day. A prisoner makes about 25 choices per day. So just in your amount of daily freedom, it is completely, completely restricted. I believe that when we also face these situations that tend to imprison us, when we face situations where we cannot get out of them, when we face difficult circumstances, uh, compromising circumstances where we don't have, we've tried our hardest, we've used our, 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 our wit, we've used our strength, we've done everything that we've can, we could to get out of a situation and nothing ever worked. When we are stuck and imprisoned in our daily circumstances, we also are bombarded with a voice that speaks a lie into our lives that says that we are all alone, that we are completely isolated, that nobody gets it, nobody understands, nobody really knows what we are going through, and so I'm just gonna have to do this all by myself. How many times have you faced a situation like that? How many times have you heard that voice? How many times have you begun to believe that lie that you're all alone, that nobody gets it and nobody understands? Well, there's a word for us today. And um, the word is all over in this Bible. It's, it's all over, and particularly in the Psalms and, and, and in the Proverbs. And you hear this refrain a lot of times uh, in the Bible, it talks about God's nature, and it says, for the Lord 
is, is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, but abounding in, in this word steadfast love. And we have two words to describe one word in the ancient Hebrew, and that word is chesed. Chesed. Steadfast love. Maybe your Bible says steadfast love. Chesed. And some, one of the, it has a, a few different translations or definitions, but the one I love the most is loyal love. A love that is loyal to us. A love that is loyal to us. And what this speaks to is God's loyalty in his love. Now when we share the gospel of Jesus Christ, when we share this good news and we explain what it means, Oftentimes we'll explain it in such a way where we say, well, yeah, we have this relationship with our creator, with, with God, with Yahweh, and, but we were disloyal. We were disloyal to the relationship, but God remained loyal and sent his son Jesus to die on the cross and raised on the third day that we could then be reconciled to God and live in eternity with him. But, um, and that's very true. But the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ also means that God's love is loyal even when life is disloyal. Even when life seems to be imprisoning us. Even when life seems to hold us down, shackle us, keep us bound in some way. Even when life is disloyal to us, where circumstances happen that we didn't ask for and we don't want to deal with. Even when things happen, bad things happen to good people, God's love is loyal. And it's the word we find here in Genesis chapter 39 with uh, chapter 39, verse 21. It says this, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love or loyal love. The Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. Even though his life, the reality of his life had just become, he had settled into the idea that it's, prison is his life. He is confined there. He is bound. And yet, but, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. You see the, the promise in this? You see the promise in this verse? That even when we feel like we can't get out of whatever hole that we're in, whatever situation that we're facing, even when we can't get out of it, we can't even see what it looks like to get over it. God is loyal in his love and he is with us. So I want you to hear this, that, that when we are shackled or bound, God's presence and love is loyal. Hear that word, loyal. When we are shackled or bound, God's presence and love is loyal to us. He goes on and explains then what, what happens next in chapter 39. It says, but uh, in verse 22, or the end of 21, he gave him the favor in the, favor in the sight of the chief jailer. And the chief jailer committed to Joseph's care all the prisoners who were in prison. And whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. He was the one who did it. The chief jailer paid no heed to anything that was in Joseph's care because 
The Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. We hear often about this word favor. Many preachers will talk about favor, and with the Lord's favor upon us, well, what, what that really means. And oftentimes, we think about Lord's favor in terms of our own personal luxury, the elimination of all our troubles, the ease and the comfort of the circumstances of life, everything to go smoothly in our world and in our life today. When the Lord has favor upon us, then all of those circumstances, all those imprisonments, all of those compromising situations, they'll just go by the wayside. But you know what? That wasn't the case with Joseph, was it? If we took this one little part and took it out of its context, we'd say, well, the Lord had favor on Joseph and everything he did prospered in prison. (laughs) And we forget that he's still facing those walls around him, that he's still facing all of those confinements and those restrictions. He's still shackled and bound, and yet still in that situation, in those circumstances, the Lord had favor upon him. And here's how he had favor. Here's how that favor sort of manifested itself. First of all, it was responsibility. How many times do we ask for the Lord's favor and that we would have greater responsibility as a result? And yet the Lord had favor on Joseph and he grew in responsibility. More things were handed into his care. And specifically, more things were handed into his care because he was trustworthy. His integrity and the favor of the Lord upon him exuded trust. So he was given more responsibility. When God gives us favor, it may not necessarily change the circumstances around us in the way that we think. Many times, and I would argue maybe all the time, God's favor does not necessarily translate into our own personal luxury, but translates into responsibility for the uplifting and the lost of others, the the lostness of others. That as soon as God brings us on the mountaintop, then he is calling us to lift others up as well. And we're gonna see this happen in this story. The first three weeks of this series was really when it all goes wrong, an emphasis on all. It all went wrong for Joseph. Next week, it's gonna take a little bit of a shift and Joseph is gonna experience some good things. It's gonna start to go right for Joseph But even in that, he's gonna encounter some problems, some difficulties. It's not gonna be all a bed of roses for Joseph, even when things are going right. We're gonna kind of look at how that takes place. So this really is a pivot point in the story. These three verses, a pivot point in the story because it all started to go wrong and now it's gonna start to go right and it started with this time in prison. And it doesn't mean that he was released from prison right away. It doesn't mean that he, his circumstances had changed, but God was doing something in that moment. And so as much as God was with him and God's love was loyal to him, when all he could see were walls around him, there was something else that was happening too. That when we are shackled or bound, God also prepares us. God also prepares us for the freedom and the liberation that is sure to come.
when we are shackled or bound, God prepares us. His love and his presence are loyal to us, but God prepares us for the freedom that is sure to come. So I would like to invite you to consider that whatever imprisonment you face today, whatever compromising situation, whatever, uh, whatever, in whatever ways you're bound or shackled in day-to-day life or sometimes in, in, in major ways, I wonder how is God preparing you now for the liberation that's gonna come? How is God preparing you now for the liberation that is sure to come? And how you say, Pastor Eric, how can you say is sure to come? And that's a good question because when I talked to my friend Pete, he said he's ministering to, to guys that they know they're gonna be in prison their whole lives. But he also told me that somehow in the midst of that, they figured out how to be free. They've been able to find freedom when they turn their life over to Jesus Christ. You see, that, that's the hope, isn't it? That, that's the promise that we have from God in the good news of Jesus is that no matter what we face, no matter, what we'll, no matter how much all goes wrong for us, we still, have po- we still have hope. We don't have a pope. We have hope. We still have a pope. We have hope that even when it's over on this earth, death does not have the victory. And we can rest in that. And even to this day, even in this moment, God is preparing us for that future glory, that future victory. So how is God preparing you in this moment? How is God preparing you for the liberation that is sure to come? What is God doing? What is he speaking into your heart? What is he challenging you with? How is he, how is, what is he adding to your, to your ability and to your skill? How is God strengthening you? Or how is God pruning you? What's God trying to take away? How is God preparing you for the liberation that is sure to come? So I wanna do uh, a little exercise with, with all of us this morning. And especially, I I mentioned this for for those of you that really, this is really hitting close to home for you. Like you really feel stuck. And some of you might feel really stuck in relationships. Some of you might feel stuck at work. Some of you might feel really uh, stuck in your faith. And that's, that's okay. I'm glad you're here too for that. Or maybe we're facing some really compromising situations and it's way out of our control and we don't know what's gonna happen. If we're facing all of that, I want you to be encouraged with that one verse in chapter 39 of Genesis, verse 21. The scripture says that the Lord, but the Lord was with Joseph, was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. I wonder if we can take out the word Joseph, the name Joseph. I'm wondering if you could put your name there instead. To take a few minutes to just sit and to reflect and to soak in and and to take in what that would mean if we took Joseph's name out and put your name in, in there instead. But the Lord was with you and showed you steadfast love. What does that mean? What does that mean for your life? What does it mean for the situations that you face? 
Let that offer you some encouragement today. Let that build you up and and give you a fresh wind. Especially for those of you that all you've been facing are these walls and you can't really get past it. You can't see past it. Take a moment. Let God speak to you as you put your name above the line. God, I lift up to you those in the midst of imprisonment, those that feel shackled or bound, those that hear your messages of liberation and freedom but have their doubts because all they can see are the walls around them. Fill them with your promise, O God. Fill them with your loyal love. Overwhelm them with your presence, oh God. Let them be assured. Let them know in this moment that you are there and that they're never alone. And let that promise promise give us all hope 
no matter what our circumstances might be, no matter what we might face, we are free in you. We hand ourselves over to you, O God. Do a mighty work among us. And if we are to be liberated, if we are to be freed, if we are to get over this circumstance, Lord, let us not forget it. Turn it into a testimony, a witness that can bless another person, that can be the voice of of promise for someone else in the midst of their own captivity. Thank you, Lord, for being present among us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So saints of God, go out and with every step, live into the liberation that is sure to come. Go in peace.